Warning! This episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniaks. Listeners, it is my profound delight to welcome back to the show Juliet Kemp. Juliet, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be back again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, listeners, you know, we love a return guest. We absolutely love a return guest, and especially when we are here for a book tour to talk about your new novella, Song, Stone, Scale, Bone. Uh, Juliet, is there anything we need to know before we get into this reading? Um, no, let's talk, I can maybe talk about it more afterwards, but I'm happy just to uh, start off with, I guess, uh, my Night Circade. Um, who is the narrator and the protagonist um, in this. So, yeah. This was all wrong. The duty spot felt familiar. The bench was as comfortable as ever, the blue-grey tiles as smooth under my boots. The road out in front of the chapter house looked exactly as it always had, but it shouldn't. It should be different. And I shouldn't, for my preference, be here at all. But Sir Bellerin had finally decided I'd spent enough time helping him Hiding in the archives were his exact words, screw him, and put me back on the duty roster. So here I was, watching the spring sun make shadow patterns through the leaves, waiting to see if anyone needed a guide today. It was quiet. The wind rustled the trees and a lark sang somewhere high in the clear blue sky. I glanced over at the rough grey stone of the archive, the oldest part of the chapter house. In there, Bellerin would be at his ceaseless humming, Rehearsing old guide songs, creating new ones from information delivered by my night siblings, teaching them to whoever came by for updates. One of the reasons Bellerin had refused to let me become under-archivist when I gave up waiting for him to say something and asked flat out Hmm. was that my memory might be good enough and I could cart boxes around with the best of them, but I was no teacher. I'd argued with him. I could do it if I just tried harder and I so badly wanted just to stay here and let everyone else go off out, though I didn't say that part. (laughs) But he just smiled understandingly at me, the bastard, and said the thing about hiding. That was that. (laughs) An hour more till my shift ended. Then, after lunch, I was due in the kitchen gardens out back. I shifted my stiff leather breastplate on my shoulders. If I was lucky, I wasn't going to be lucky. (laughs) There, coming through the gap in the hedge that led to the red brick building housing the Saal, was the Archon, still upright in her grey robe despite her advancing years accompanying someone towards my duty spot. I stood and straightened to attention, hand on my sword hilt as they drew near. Daughter, the Archon said, bowing to me, your service is required. Bugger. I serve at the will of Sir Amos, I said. The Archon turned to the woman with her and gestured towards me. This is Sir Cade, knight of Sir Amos. She will guide you on your path. Sir Cade, Lady Arel of the family Exeria requires your assistance. I serve at the will of Sir Ramos, I said again, 
a statement you can't go far wrong with as one of our order, and took mm -hmm. a good look at Lady Orell. Her dark hair was tied up in complicated braids that I presumed were this year's aristocratic trend, and her pale skin looked like she never set foot outside her family's compound, rather unlike my own sun-baked look. It would be a lie to say that knights aren't bothered about their appearance. We can be as vain as you like in the right circumstances, but fashionably pale isn't really an option when you make your living riding around guiding people and waving your sword about as necessary. But then there was the very practical shirt and trousers she was wearing. In my previous experience of guiding Aristos, practical wasn't a feature. What is my lady's will? I prompted her. If I had to do this, I might as well get on with it. I wish to visit the catacombs, she said, which was unusual. We trained down there, but there weren't many visitors and hardly ever Aristos. But, of course, that was where she wanted to go, because it was precisely the place I absolutely, categorically did not want to go ever again. However... I was still in the order, and an oath was an oath. Very well, my lady, I said, and ignored the way my stomach turned. A brief visit then, the archon said comfortably. The catacombs were a bare couple of miles from the chapter house. I wish to go to the mausoleums, Lady Orell said. The archon looked as surprised as I did. Ah, I said. I looked sideways at the archon, but this was my responsibility now. I am sorry, my lady. The route collapsed six months ago. I didn't let myself think about that. <laughs> we no longer have a guide song past that point. The Archon nodded in regretful agreement. Lady Orell's chin went up. You are the Knights of Sir Amos, no? Uh, yes. <laughs> you are obliged to guide? That was technically true. <laughs> Our visitors rarely wish to put themselves in the danger of having no guides on, the Archon said gently. And yet, Lady Orell said, in this case I do. Are you refusing to take me? The Archon looked at me. I could get out of it if I wanted to without dishonour. There was no guide song. The Archon would find someone more comfortable with that risk. But I'd taken an oath. I hadn't wanted to be standing back out here again. I hadn't wanted to leave the quiet safety of the archives. But here I was, standing in this familiar spot as I had so many times before. And I was a knight of Serenos, sworn to guide. As you will, my lady, I said. But I don't know the way. No one does. Mm -hmm. Then we will find out, she said. <laughs> and you will have a guide song for the next person. She smiled at me, but it didn't reach her eyes. Those were determined and... Worried? Huh. What does she want down there, anyway? We will equip you correctly, the Archon said, which ought to go without saying, but I read it as the Archon reminding me she had my back, and it warmed me. Then let us away, Lady Orell said, and led us briskly back towards the saal and the stores. I trailed behind, wishing I wasn't there at all. <laughs> I could have done with it taking longer to get kitted up, but we didn't need much. We wouldn't be out overnight, even if we made it past the collapsed part. The catacombs were potentially dangerous, but they weren't large. Mm. I'd expected to have to sort Lady Orell out with more or less everything. Aristos don't usually think about this stuff. But no, she had knife, flint and steel, a water bottle, some wrapped bread and a thin blanket, all tucked into a neat haversack. I took a little more, rope for starters, and more in the way of weaponry. But then I was supposed to be the one doing the carrying. <laughs> we both bowed our heads for the Archon to bless us and set off down the path towards the catacombs entrance. She was striding out swiftly, like she was in a hurry, shoulders back, not slumping under the weight of her bag. 
I eyed her sideways. All in all, I was curious about Lady Arel. Her clothes were good quality, but practical. She'd packed a perfectly sensible kit bag, and she wanted to go poke around the catacombs, which wasn't a customary aristocratic sport. It interested me, despite myself. Foolish. Doesn't do to get too interested in clients. Do what you're told. Stick your sword in whatever needs a sword stuck in it. Get it. <laughs> That's what Graf always reckoned. She caught me looking and gave me a brief quarter smile. Sir Cade, she said. Lady Arell, I said. I wanted to ask what was so important that she didn't care there wasn't a guide song, but that wasn't my business. <laughs> Our oath covers guiding, not judging the value of the trip. It doesn't stop you being curious. Have you been to the catacombs before? She asked. I snorted. Of course, we all have. We trained down there. I mean, it's convenient, right? <sighs> Train to navigate? First song any of us learn, I said. Half a song now, and it's good combat practice. Combat practice? <laughs> I glanced over again. Her eyes were wide. I rolled mine. Did you think we'd just happily skip through there with nothing to bother us? Why do you think I have this bloody big sword? I've taken an oath to guide people, not to be polite to them, which is handy because I'm all right at guiding, but not much good at being polite. You are a knight, she said stiffly. Of course you would have a sword. Fair. Well, I might need it. Minotaurs, caroths. You have encountered them before? First time I went down, I was a novice, I said. They send a few proper knights down with you in case anyone gets stuck on the song and to whack the beasties if need be. My graph... I hope she'd missed the hiccup, was determined we wouldn't need any help. We did pretty well to start with, saw off a swarm of minotaurs. I saw Graf's exultant face in my mind's eye. He'd been barely old enough to shave. Graf wanted to find a caroth. I figured I would just as soon not. We were arguing about it when the biggest spider I've ever seen dropped straight down onto his nose. Never heard anyone scream like it. He belted straight back the way we'd come, and I scrambled after him because we'd been told to stick together no matter what. Every proper knight in the place heard him and came running too, and they all clattered into each other to crossroads like something out of a fast play. <laughs> I grinned. He got latrine duty for a month, and I got it with him because because he was my sword brother, but I couldn't get that out. Because apparently I should have stopped him. Don't know how. He was twice the size of me back then. I got my gross spurt late, and Graf was always a big lad. Lady Arell was smiling, properly this time. I hope you made him pay for it. <laughs> Been a joke between us ever since, I said. Had been. And there was the entrance. I gestured. Here we are. Onwards, my lady. And that is the end of that scene. Oh, delightful. Absolutely so, delightful. Yeah. Love, a, love a snarky night. <laughs> I very much enjoyed writing Kate. Um, and yes, we may will find out more about Graf, uh, her sword brother who is dead but might not be altogether gone (laughs) (laughs) you have you have me you have me hooked (laughs) glad to hear it (laughs) oh so of course this is tales from the trunk so the first thing i have to ask is is there anything that just didn't quite make it into the final draft of this that you're just super sad about or uh, regretful or otherwise really wish could have made it in? I was thinking about this. There's nothing um, 
there's nothing kind of large i think that i that i cut there was there was a mm-hmm. bit where i there was a bit where i wanted to include kate's uh family that she hasn't seen for a long time because she's been a knight um mm. in an early draft uh they ran into um they you know in a later stage after they've gone through the catacombs and come out and more shenanigans have ensued mm-hmm. uh they ran into Kate, kate's family um and i had to cut that because it didn't I'd have needed to write a whole another bit of book to make that tie in properly to make it worthwhile and um, this is a novella um, which has a fairly strict word (laughs) yeah Um, as it was I spent an awful lot of time so having cut that and the the farm that they fetch up in is is no longer um, Kate's family's farm um, I also spent a lot of time cutting just a lot of very small bits because I wanted to keep it under Mm 40,000 words and it comes out, I think, at something like 39,500 in the end. Uh, yeah, squeaked it right in. Um, squeaked it in, but most of that was just, you know, tightening things up um, little bit by little. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that's in there, but, poss- but isn't overtly in there, um, because, and I still don't think there's a way of, getting, of, of making this overt <laughs> by definition, is that part of my world building is that this world has no written language. Oh, wow. Um, but... Which is why you have the guides who learn their guide songs to guide people, mm-hmm. um, and but they don't have any way of they don't have any written language. And of course, there are cultures uh, in this world that don't have um, those sorts of written language um, and have an oral tradition and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thing is, if you've got a first person narrator, they don't know that, right? Because it's not part of their world, right? So That's it was... just normal for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's not that it's not in there it is in there but it's i could there's no way of writing it mm-hmm. explicitly that i could think of with a first person narrator yeah that that makes a lot of sense um and yeah we uh on on the episode uh the last episode that would be in the feed that just came out yesterday as we we're recording this um with josh story we were we were talking a bit about the um the tendency to want to put everything in mm. uh, and kind of the the differences in focus there um, yeah that's that's the thing I think especially in a first in a first draft you I, well I anyway tend to sort of <laughs> shove lots of things in as they occur to me oh yeah um, even even when I've got a plan um, which I'm trying to do more because <laughs> then you are less I'm less likely to get stuck 20,000 words in but I'm like, mm-hmm. I suddenly, you know, I have ideas. And I'm like, oh, this could be here. Like, you know, this farm could be Cade's family's farm. And there could be a whole thing with her brother. And it's all very complicated. And then I go back and I'm like, yeah, but where this, that, if you do that, it's kind of got to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, so either I write some, something more or I cut it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think that that's what a first draft is for kind of a, uh, for, for myself anyway, it is, uh, I often am a kitchen sink drafter and then realize Mm -hmm. like, oh, this doesn't actually pay off in any real way, or this doesn't, this doesn't actually land at all outside of my brain. Uh Uh-huh. But the flip side of that, I think, is when you've thrown all, you know, thrown all these things in and then you get, you know, to the end or towards the end and you're like hang on that thing that i chucked in in chapter two 
off, you know, off, off, off the cuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to come back to, which is going to be the crucial, you know, so if you let yourself throw all these things in, some of them have to go, but some of them turn out to be the crucial um, yeah. idea that will make the whole thing tie together. Love that. So, like, Absolutely love that. Um, so without, uh, without giving too much away, is there any part of this book that you're just super excited for people to get to? Um, I love, I think it's, it's not really a spoiler because it happens very early on. Graf, Kate's dead sword brother, um, is going to end up haunting her. Um, Mm -hmm. in, and I, I love that because I, uh, loved writing their relationship, basically. They're Mm. kind of this very deep bond and Kate's very strong sense of responsibility about what happened, which I won't, which I won't say more about, um, and uh, the kind of graphs a much more sort of practical sort of person with a much mm-hmm. less sense of responsibility. Um, and the way they interact, uh, I just I just really enjoyed writing that. That's probably my favourite thing. Mm. Um, I also like the dragon. Oh, yeah. Who is also going to show up in the first couple of, couple of chapters. Love the um, dragon. And winds up inviting himself along on the later <laughs> kind of part of the quest. And it's very hard to say no to a dragon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thinking about um, the 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 two ends of the spectrum of of literary dragon that my brain immediately filled in, and both of them, it's uh, on on the one hand we've got uh, the Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia by Patricia C. Reed, and like the the Dragon Kazool being a very uh, you're not going to rescue the princess from me because she came here of her own accord and we're friends actually. And on the other hand, um, the, the dragon from, uh, wizard of earth sea, who is also, uh, a very powerful personality, shall we say? <laughs> so yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with a dragon who wanted to invite themselves on along on my quest. <laughs> problem is then you have to try and like feed them which is a bit more challenging <laughs> yep yep <clears throat> very rude of them that they they uh that they don't they invite themselves along and then don't actually provide anything for themselves yeah yeah well i mean i think the problem is that your dragon could go off and provide things for themselves but then you might get into trouble from everyone on the yeah. nearby <laughs> yeah they they are um, their own dragon but also uh, in the eyes of the law, perhaps uh, they are yes. your responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of things that I, you know, I'm excited to people to get to, there is a point where the dragon accidentally um, rescues everyone, which I also very much <laughs> enjoyed writing because it's an extremely chaotic scene, which winds up with Kate screaming her head off as she's dragged through the air. Oh, I love <laughs> this. Very embarrassing. Very embarrassing when you're supposed to be, you know, a robust and stoic knight. Ha uh-huh. ha. Oh, lovely. Oh. Well, again, that is Song, Stone, Scale, Bone, which is available right this very moment, listeners, and you should buy it. (laughs) Please do. Uh, Juliet, do you have anything else, uh, before we sort of wrap things up, do you have anything else that you'd love for our listeners to know about, perhaps, that uh, you have written, maybe a series? 
Um, yes, I finished earlier this year. Um, I released the last book of my Marek series, which is a sort of fantasy city political um, series with magic and complicated family relationships um, and uh, a bit of a revolution in the last one. And in fact, I talked to you about this about this time last year. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's the other, that's the other thing that I've um finished relatively recently it feels to have to say the first book the last book feels both like oh yeah i only just finished writing that and Mm -hmm. about four billion years ago at the same time but it was it came out in january is that recent or is that four billion years ago i leave it to you to decide (laughs) who knows time is fake Um, time is but that was a yeah but that was a lot of fun to to write to wrap up that series um and to say goodbye to those the characters i've been sort of writing about since Mm-hmm. 2018 which is definitely quite a while ago yeah um so i'm told that you can start with the fourth book so if people anyone's curious uh, you can just pick up the city revealed which was the final book and there's enough in the first chapter or so to get you caught up i would however or you could read all of them i mean people could also read all of them i'm obviously yeah. very much here for that <laughs> dear listeners i would recommend buying all four books um on 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 the subject of uh, things that we're excited about, also, is there anything that you've been enjoying in the wider media landscape recently that you'd love our listeners to know about? Ooh, um, I've been watching Deadlock, the oh, um, nice. Aus- Australian. It's an Australian kind of detective murder mystery thing, stroke odd couple comedy, stroke mm-hmm. like black other sorts of black humor workplace comedy maybe it was, it's lots of things all wrapped up in one um and it's very queer wall-to-wall lesbians <laughs> we love that and yeah and madeline sammy who played archie in the second season of our flag means death is uh eddie one of the kind of odd couple buddy you know cop buddies fantastic um, being extremely uh foul mouthed i think that's fair uh, and tactless, <laughs> and just generally awesome, as Dulcie, her colleague, sort of goes around trying to make her behave. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I've absolutely loved that, um, and uh, I also finally, very, I'm very late to this one. I just finished reading Freya Mask's trilogy. The oh yeah. Last by the last bindings, the trilogy name, isn't it? A marvelous light is the first one, and then I can't remember the names of the second two. Uh, the first one came out ages ago, like several years now, and I've been meaning to read it for apparently several years. And I just <laughs> um, got round to it on holiday this week, and then galloped up that and the rest of the trilogy in about in about a day and a half, basically. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd said to myself, oh, "I'll try the first one, and then you know, when when the book budget allows, I will." No, grump, grump, grump. Great, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, sort of Edwardian um, alternate London alternate universe magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also quite queer. Um, also quite queer. Uh, uh, listeners, if you're if you're interested in a bit more of a pitch on that from Freya, uh, oh cool, you should check out her episode. Uh, it was not a book tour, but she came on in October of twenty. 2021 i want to say is when uh a marvelous light came out Mm. uh and would would highly recommend obviously listening to every episode in the backlog but uh if if you want a starting place right now uh 
I would say that that would be a good one. Also, listening back to this time last year when Juliet was on. Um, Juliet, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Before we get going, finally, where else can our listeners find you? Um, I have a website at julietkemp.com, um, and there's, you can sign up to my newsletter there as well. Um, and I'm still sort of on Twitter at um, Juliet K, and I'm on Blue Sky, fairly sure that's Juliet K as well. Mm-hmm. And Mastodon, Zerkus uh, slash Juliet. I'm, I'm finding it difficult to remember because there's quite a lot of these things now. Uh-huh. I haven't really adjusted to this new social media landscape. Of course, yeah. <laughs> well, links, of course, will be in the show notes. Uh, I was going to say that's probably a better way to do it. Yeah. Well, Juliet, thank you again so, so much for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure, and I can't wait for your next project and to have you back for another book tour. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to chat. Absolutely. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Blue Sky at TrunkCast, and I post at HBBisneyX. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>